Now, I'm going to be preaching, if you've noticed, this month I have been preaching on some very solid core doctrines of the church. Some things that really separate us as people that were a part of the Protestant Reformation and from people that were in the, at the time of the church before the Protestant Reformation came along in the Catholic Church. We've looked at only the Bible, that God gave us the Bible. The church didn't give us a Bible. We've looked at why we live for the glory of God alone. We spent two Sundays with that. And then today, we're going to look at that Latin phrase that was a part of those five solas of the Reformation. It's one of our core doctrines in the Assemblies of God, Sola Christus, Christ alone, why we believe that Christ alone is Lord. How many of you remember that song, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead? Growing up, I never even thought about that. I was reflecting on my growing up years, and growing up in my school, everybody was either Baptist or Methodist. I don't remember one Catholic student in my school. There was one Jehovah's Witness, and there was one Pentecostal. I was the Pentecostal in that school, and everyone else were either Baptist or Methodist. And my friends would ask me what a Pentecostal was, and so I would try to share with them. And I wasn't very good at it, but I can remember some of my friends, especially in high school, would come to me and tell me, he says, we remember what it was like when you were so sick, and now we see what God is doing in your life. Friends, never underestimate the authority and the power of our true confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. What matters is not the shingle on the door, whether you're Baptist, Methodist, Assemblies of God, what matters is, do you confess Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as the Lord of your life? Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Sometimes I get these things in my email. I know you get them, and it's advertised this way. You must have this. How many of you have ever seen that? You must have this. If you're going to lose weight, you must have this. If you're going to keep a proper schedule, you must have this. And everybody is always trying to sell us on the latest must-haves in lives. Dave Barry, in his book about marriage, he says, what women want in a man is to be loved, to be listened to, to be desired, to be respected, to be needed, to be trusted, and sometimes just to be held. And what he said for men, he says, what men want are tickets to the World Series in Atlanta, Georgia this year. That's all. I mean, we're pretty basic and we're pretty simple, right? I mean, when you get right down to it, we don't, we're not a real needy group. We just know one thing. But you ladies in our lives, you bring so many multi-dimensions and colors and flavors. And I was talking to a friend of mine one time, and I said, look, I remember what it was like when I was a bachelor and I lived by myself. I said, everything was real simple. Becky's come into my life, and I've learned that there are colors that I didn't even know existed before. There are flavors I didn't know. There's music I didn't know about. And she's brought into my life so much that I could never go back to that life. I would never want to go back to that life without Becky. Here's my point. I knew what life was like before I confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, and I know what life has been like, and my friends who knew me know what life has been like. Life is never the same after you discover who Jesus Christ really is. Can you say amen? So would you stand with me this morning, and I want us to go to the word of the Lord. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, 
Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Would you read that with me this morning? Begin with, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now remain standing because this is our confession. We are saved in, through, and by Christ alone. We are saved in, through, and by Christ alone. Can we say that together? We are saved in, through, and by Christ alone. It's why the apostle Peter would preach on Act, from Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no, under, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, last week I asked you to grant us favor and to deliver us from laziness and slothfulness of thought. God, we live in a world, as we looked at last week, that the changes in our culture, in our politics, in religion, Lord, in our schools, have been seismic. It's like we have felt the earth move beneath our feet, Lord. And this morning, I want to bring us back to the confession and the understanding of what it means to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. I thank you for the culture that I grew up in where we really had to give that no thought. Our neighbors, my classmates, our city. Lord, we believe this. We may not have always lived like it, and we ask you to forgive us of that. And I ask you in advance in a pastoral intercession for this congregation this morning, forgive us for saying these words and then not living out the truth and the validity of these words. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, stir up our hearts, stimulate our minds, and help us to think and act as people of conviction. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Turn around to your neighbor, give them a high five, air high five if you're more comfortable with that, and let them know you're glad they're here and you can be seated this morning. I am so glad my mother is here, and I know she's here somewhere, but I can't find her. Mama, wave at me. Oh, there you are, right in front of me. I couldn't see you for Glenn right there. So I am so glad. Would you welcome my mother to Woodland this morning? She is 84 beautiful years old, and guess what? You're going to really wish you were a member of this team on Tuesday. My mama is frying chicken and bacon biscuits and gravy for us here on Tuesday morning for our staff, and I can't wait. We're going to fatten everybody up for the Lord come Tuesday morning, so we're, we're looking so forward to that, and she's been a delight. As a matter of fact, we went to the old historic Franklin Cider Mill. If you've never been there, you owe yourself a treat, but... You know, in the 20-plus years I've lived in Michigan, I've never eaten cider and donuts. That just didn't sound appealing to me. And so 
Friday? Yeah, Friday, I had my first cider and donuts. Oh, man. This is a taste of what heaven's going to be like. You know, with no offense to my friends who've been addicted to drugs, but that was like taking crack. I ate three of them right in a row, you know, and then I can't begin to tell. Coffee doesn't bother me, but sugar will just amp me up. So then for the rest of the day, I was really hyped up. But what a treat that was. And Mom, we're so glad you're here. And she was praying with us last night during the prayer service. And I just wish you would move up here at least during the summer. I think that's the will of God. And you just need to listen to that. Come on, help me, church. Well, our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, it extends all the way back to the Gospels. It extends all the way back to the early church. And we don't always catch the meaning of that because we have bumper stickers, we have billboards. People carry book covers of things that say this. And I know in the culture that we live in, because I have lunch with people from other religions and I get to talk and to dialogue with them, that it, I know that it sounds narrow-minded. I know that it even sounds bigoted. But the church has not confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord for over 2,000 years so that you and I could be smug, so that you and I could be bigoted, or so that you and I could be narrow-minded. We've confessed the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord is because it is truth. And the way to know God and the way to come to faith in God is through Jesus Christ. He's unique. We know that he is unique. We know there's something totally and completely different about Jesus. And sometimes when I talk to my friends and I tell them there were things that Buddha taught that were good. I've read those things or I've read the, the Koran and I've tried to read so I could have conversation when I read these things and I go, yes, I can acknowledge the good, but the good cannot save us. Our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord is really liberating and is really freeing to people from other religions. And that's why we really want you to invite them to come and worship with us at Woodland next week when we talk about the subject of grace. How good do you have to be? How successful do you have to be? What do you have to accomplish for your life to really matter in our world today? Grace will give us a picture of something that I think will be so revolutionary that we will understand why Newton penned those words. The grace is amazing. But yet I fear we sometimes, as the body of Christ, have become deadened to what these confessions of faith truly mean, because if we understood what Jesus is Lord really means, it would change how we lived. If we understood the Bible is truly God's word, we would never neglect it a day in our life, but we would run to it as a starving man or a thirsty woman for the word and for the refreshment that it brings to us, that we understood the awesome glory of God, every thought, every decision we made, we would seek by the help of the Holy Spirit to live, to honor him. So what does it mean? Well, let's look at some only Jesus statements this morning. Only Jesus is fully God and fully human. Only Jesus is fully God and fully human. He became a man. He came and he lived and dwelt among us. Now, don't let that pass you by because that's an incredible statement that Jesus, only Jesus was fully God and fully human, means that Jesus understands you. 
Jesus understands me. Jesus understands our desires, our wants, our temptations, our passions, our drives, our convictions. It tells me that he is not only God, but he became man and dwelt among us. Only God had the ability to do that. Muhammad didn't have the ability to do that. Buddha didn't have the ability. Confucius didn't have the ability. Somehow another God who created everything that exists came and dwelt among us. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, within 60 years, probably within about 50 years of, of Jesus' ascension to heaven, these words were written, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, if he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. When I read this passage of scripture, I go all the way back to my Bible college days. When our professor, as we looked at this and broke it apart, and first he taught us about a little theological word, the kenosis theory, and I felt so smart that I knew and understood what kenosis meant. It's amazing how conceited you can get when you just begin to learn something. And so I would ask my friends sometimes, do you know what the kenosis theory is? And the look they would give me was, no, and I don't really care either, you know. Nobody really cared about this theological education I was gathering. And after our professor explained, he said, now there's a couple of things you need to know. Number one is that the fact that God became a man and dwelt among us means that God cares deeply about you. God loves you. I mean, why else does a doctor suit up and go in to a place that's contaminated with disease? Why else does a missionary go to a place like Haiti and risk being captured like 17 volunteer missionaries have been in Haiti, some from Michigan and some from Ohio that we've been praying for? He tells us something else our professor says, is that because Jesus became man and dwelt among us, he's able to be close to us. He understands us. He walks with us. You know, the most difficult time in mine and Becky's relationship was not when I traveled so much. The most difficult time for me was when she was in North Georgia and I was in middle Florida. I didn't do long distance very well. And back in those days, telephone calls cost you a lot of money. And sometimes I was just happy to hear her breathe on the other end of the line. And I remember telling my daddy when we got married, I said, Daddy, I should have done it a year earlier, you know, and he just laughed at me. And I said to him, Dad, I don't do long distance very well. I, I need her close beside me. I need her with me. And what I've discovered, the older we've gotten married, the more I want to be with her, the more I, it's not that our hearts have grown further apart, but I want to be with her more. And the more you discover about Jesus Christ, the more you want to be with Jesus, spend time with Jesus, worshiping Jesus, fellowshipping with his people, because the more you know about Jesus, the sweeter, the better, the more precious he becomes. Do you agree with that? If so, say amen this morning the better he becomes in our lives. Only Jesus led a perfect life. Only Jesus led a perfect life. Remember, we're dealing with some only Jesus statements. Only Jesus was fully God and fully human, and only Jesus led a perfect life for you and I. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, 
22, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. Wow, what a powerful statement to make. Can any of us make those statements and in all of our lives we've never sinned? Can any of us make the statements we've never deceived anyone? Once when I was selling a car when I was younger, my dad told me, he says, now son, you want to tell him everything that you know is wrong with this car. And I said, okay, why do I want to do that? He says, because if you tell them everything that's wrong with this car, when you go to sell another car, they will trust you. I said, shouldn't I tell them the good thing? He says, tell them the good things, but tell them everything that's wrong with this car. And so when I sold my first car, I made a confession. Here's what's good about this car. Here's what's bad about this car. And then my dad told me this. He said, you tell them, once they back it out of the driveway, it's their car. Because you told them everything good and you told them everything bad. It's their car. And friends, I want you to know, once you make your confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, he will never, ever reject you. Nobody can pluck you out of the hand of God. He knows everything good about you, and he knows everything bad about you, and he still says, I love you this morning. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? In Hebrews chapter 7, he's the kind of high priest, Jesus, that we need because he's holy, he's blameless, he's unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners, and he's been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Only Jesus could die for our sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. It's why the more I meditate and think upon it, the cross grows more and more precious to me all the time because only Jesus can deal with my sin. I can't deal with my sin. There have been so many times that I've brought things to the Lord. There have been so many times people have come to my study or we have come into the, sometimes I've said, let's come in here and let's just kneel at the altar. I know that this building is just a building, but it is a sacred space for us. We gather here. We worship here. We, we get married here. We dedicate our children here. We have funerals here. We, we meet with God in this place. And so sometimes just coming to God in this place and kneeling, people have found hope for controlling sins or controlling controlling addictions that have been broken because only Jesus can deal with it. When the medicine can't, the doctor can't, the psychologist can't, Jesus can. And he not only forgives, but he breaks those powers of sin in our life. G.K. Chesterton said, sin, the only theological concept that can be 100% proven, just look around. I want you to do something right now. I'm not going to ask you to do this next Sunday. But I want you to get prepared. Just look around. Right now, just look around. Everybody in here is either a sinner or a sinner saved by grace. All right, now look here. I am a sinner saved by grace. And if I could get everybody to look at you right now, I would have them to tell you you're a sinner saved by grace. But since I don't want to put you on the spot, don't say it with a whole lot of enthusiasm now, but would you look at me and say, Pastor, you are a sinner saved by grace. You can say it with a little more conviction than that. Say it again. Some of you are laughing. You stop it. Yes, I am. 
And rather than be insulted by that, it gives me hope. It gives me a future. Because when I chose Jesus, I chose to acknowledge, God, I can't do anything about my sin. You see, my problem with sin is I can't fix it. I can't repair it. I can't make it better. And the religion that people choose, the faith that people choose, is based upon the problem that they think they have. When people think they're smart enough to engage God, when people think they're good enough to engage God, when people think they're clever enough to to engage God, then they come up with their own religion. And then they say things, well, if he doesn't like it, he can just send me to hell. Well, that says to me, you've got an abysmal lack of understanding of what hell is like. I heard somebody say something just recently. He said, these shoes hurt my feet like hell. And I just spoke up and said, you have no idea what hell is like if they think those shoes are like hell. If those shoes are like hell, you really want to get to know my Jesus. If your marriage is like hell, you really want to get to know my Jesus. If your job is like hell, you really want to get to know my Jesus. If you think our culture is like hell, you really want to get to know my Jesus. Because our enemy today is not the culture, it's not the world. Our enemy is the same that it has always been. It is the old enemy himself, the Bible calls him the devil, the serpent, the cunning one, the deceiving one, slewfoot. That's who our enemy is, and only Jesus can defeat him in our lives this morning. Can we give him another hand of praise for that today? Over the last, I guess, 30 years, I have been fixated on St. Patrick. I was at a conference and I heard how this one man evangelized the entire island of Ireland and how it changed. And a man that was, an, that was a slave of the Irish people. And so I read everything that I could possibly get my hands on. But let me read you from his own writings. And it's a little lengthy, but follow along with me this morning. Our enemy, the flesh, now he's talking about our self-will. Our enemy, the flesh, is always charming us to death. That is, to allurements to be enjoyed in woe. I have not led a perfect life, but I confess to my God, and I am not ashamed in his presence, for I lie not. From the time I came to know him in my youth, the love of God and his fear grew in me. Until this hour, through God's favor, I have kept the faith. What is Patrick saying? That even since he became a Christian, he hadn't led a perfect life. But that didn't stop him from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the Irish people who needed to know the Lord and an island that was filled with paganism. The fact that he had led a perfect life didn't cause him to give up on his call from God because he knew, he knew that once you give your heart to God, God will never reject you. God accepted you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The key to intimacy is repenting of our sins and trusting God to forgive us because sin breaks fellowship. And once we confess our sins to God, there's that intimate fellowship that we can enjoy with him forever and that's how he grows sweeter and sweeter and more precious to us every day can we give the lord one more hand of praise this morning hallelujah so i say to my friends if you really want to know god and i know they don't think i'm smug i don't think i'm reminded now their friends may tell them that i am then according to the bible then jesus is the only way to god 
The third only statement is that only Jesus has conquered death. Lazarus didn't conquer death. Christ raised him from the dead. Only Jesus has conquered death. You see, in Jesus' day, there were a lot of Messiah wannabes. Do you know that within 100 years of Jesus' life, there were five or six men that were claimed to be the Messiah that had incredible followings? Five or six, just within 100 years. Incredible Jewish revolts, incredible Jewish followings that followed after these five or six different men that were proclaimed to be the Messiah. But what happened with every single one of them is they were killed. They were all martyred. They all had the same message. You need to live out your beliefs. They all had the same message. You need to deepen your convictions. They all had the same message. Follow me. I mean, this doesn't sound kind of similar to what Jesus taught us, but the difference was all five or six of these, there's a sixth one that we think had this claim of messianic, all five or six of these were killed. They were murdered. They were, they, were, they were killed either by the Romans or by another jealous tribe. They died. So what happens when your Messiah dies? You grieve. You find a, a Messiah recovery group, you know? You find a group where you can go. Do you know there's actually groups where people go where they've been abused by pastors or by churches, and they're called recovery groups? And so so you find a Messiah recovery group and you say, oh, I believe that Simon or I believe that Judas Maccabeus was the Messiah. So I followed him and he's dead and he's buried. What am I going to do now? And that was what the disciples were experiencing. Remember those two guys walking on the road to Emmaus when Jesus appeared to them and they didn't know who he was? They said, we thought he would be the Messiah. They were going home to find a Messiah recovery group. Why? Because they watched him die. They watched him crucified. They watched him get buried. But something happened three days later. The stone was taken away. The tomb shook and Jesus Christ rose from the dead triumphant over death, hell and the grave and they saw him walk out of there. They saw him rise from the dead and I submit to you this morning, he did not recover from a fainting spell. He was crucified, died, buried and rose again on the third day. Somebody shout, come on victory this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's the reason that Paul would write, and remember, Paul didn't believe at first. He wasn't an eyewitness, see, but he got knocked off his donkey, as we looked at a few weeks ago, and he wrote these words, I passed on to you what was most important and what also had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the 12. Now listen, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. You know what he's saying? It's real clear. If you don't believe me, go ask them. You ever have anybody tell you that? If you don't believe me, go ask Chuck. Go ask Paul. What Paul is saying to them, listen, if you don't believe me, there are over 500 witnesses. I used to martyr them. I used to kill them. I used to put them in prison. 
and they would not deny what they knew to be true. And there's something anemic about the faith of the modern day church when we are not willing to confess the uniqueness of Jesus Christ because we fear the power of the culture more than we fear the one true God. And unless we come back to that, our witness and our children and our grandchildren will inherit, inherit an anemic, powerless faith and miss what the message of the cross is all about and miss their opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Fourthly, this morning, only Jesus is Lord. Sola Christus. What does this mean? Because after the resurrection, that's when the disciples begin to call him Lord. Look with me quickly at three verses of Scripture. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Look at that, the Lord Jesus. Circle that in your outline. And God's great blessing was upon them all. When Peter was being, excuse me, when Stephen was being stoned for his confession of Jesus Christ as he was dying, as they were stoning him to death, and Paul was witnessing this, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It was no longer just Jesus or Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus, the son of Joseph or Jesus, the son of Mary. It's the Lord Jesus. And then Ananias, after Paul confessed Christ, Ananias went and found Saul. This is Paul. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is his confession so important? Because the word curios was used in the Roman culture. They had many gods. Caesar proclaimed that he was curios. You could say Jesus is Lord as long as you said Caesar is Lord. Jesus or Jesus is curios, Caesar is curios. But the Christians would die rather than confess that Caesar is Lord. They would not bow to the culture. They would not bow to the political oppression. They would not bow to the financial oppression. They would not bow to the religious oppression. They instead stood fast because they knew there was only one Lord and there was only one way to God, and that was through Jesus Christ, the only one who became man, the only one who can deal with my sin, the only one who was raised from the dead, and the only one who is truly Lord of all today. That's the word of the Lord. I've watched children play king of the mountain. I watched my boys play king of the mountain. Boy, they would get to the top of a hill and they would wrestle and struggle and throw one down and one would stand up and say, I'm king of the mountain. And then somebody would just body tackle him and it'd start all over again. Any of you ever play that game growing up? Yeah. Some of you women played that game. Wow. You're tough. Tough. I was talking to a woman. This has nothing to do with the message. I was talking to a woman the other day. She flips tractor tires. I had a whole new respect for her. You see, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the reason hell trembled was because he had took the keys to death and hell and the grave. He was king of the mountain. He was king of the universe. Now, this is important because your friends and you and I, 
Now listen, we all look to something as the Lord of our lives. For some, it's politics or a politician. For some, it's the economy. For some, it's another person in their life. But we all look for something as Lord. This is why this is important. And this is why I want to preach this today and not next week. Because when you say Jesus is Lord, this is more than a simple doctrinal statement. And that's important. But this is more than a simple doctrinal statement. This is how we live our lives. When you make that confession as Jesus is Lord, you are suddenly saying to him, you are Lord of my relationships, you are Lord of my time, you are Lord of my finances, you are Lord of everything in my life. So when I worship the Lord, I don't just worship singing to him here at Woodland, but I worship him in my stewardship of my finances. I worship him in my stewardship of my home by how I love Becky as Christ loves the church and I love my children and grandchildren. How I steward my pastoral ministry of this congregation and this community that we live in. In other words, everything I do, everything that you do, we do it as sinners saved by grace, knowing he took us the good, the bad, and the ugly. He will never reject us. He will never cast us aside. And we do it with the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit because the king of the mountain, the king of the universe, the Lord of all, lives inside of our hearts and lives this morning. Can we give him one more hand of praise today? Well, one more statement as Becky comes this morning. And then we're going to get ready to take communion together. Only Jesus can give me a relationship with God. And this is what everybody's looking for. Whether they're Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu, whatever it is, even people who tell me they're atheists, there's something they're looking for as Lord in their life. Look at this next verse of Scripture with me this morning. Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice freeing us from all those dead in efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. Would you say that with me this morning? Live all out for God. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, would you pray that I will live all out for God? Would you pray I will live all out for God? I've never worried about burning out. I want to burn up. I want to live all out for God. But there's some folk I'm worried about rusting out. Because this confession is doctrinal. It's not the way of life. God said of his people, he said, they say the right things. They make the right sacrifices, but their hearts are far from me. May that never be true of us as a congregation. You see, Jesus came to offer me a loving relationship with God. When my friend told me the other day, he says, I can't know that I will see God. I can't know that. You can't know that. I go, yes, I can. I am more sure of that than I am that you and I are having lunch together.
How do you know when you've been good enough? It's not about how good I am. That's not an excuse for me to be bad. But it's about what God did. You see, as a Christian, I make this confession. I didn't find God. God found me. You didn't go looking for God. Jesus came to find you. Jesus came to this earth. He found you. It's not a matter of you're looking for God in all the right places. It's about God coming into those dark and messy places that you're afraid for anybody else to see. It's about God coming into those places that even when I was saying, look at me and tell me, tell me with enthusiasm, pastor, you're a sinner saved by grace. It's because there's so many things we hope people never know about our attitudes or our past. It's because somehow or another we know that we would have done the same knuckleheaded thing that Adam and Eve did if we'd have been the first people of the garden. And we confess to him, Lord, I can't save myself. So how do you become a Christian? How do you know God is as simple as A, B, C, and D? Number one, admit. Admit that I've sinned. Admit that I fell short of the glory of God. That's not me being smug. That's me saying, I sinned. I fell short of the glory of God. Secondly, believe. Believe with all your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Think on that. If that's not real to you right now, if that's not real to you right now as you're listening, think on that. Ask God about that until it begins to burn. If you will be sincere, I promise you, God will make it burn like a fire in your heart. And then the third thing is confess the Lord Jesus Christ openly. If you go to our app, I've got all the scriptures to go with this. And then finally, demonstrate your faith in Christ by turning from your sin and being baptized. See, when I told you about all the wonderful things we do here, I forgot to mention one of the most important things. Well, I didn't forget. I just wanted to do it now. It's when we invite our friends and our neighbors and our family members, and we are baptized in these waters. One of my friends gave his heart to Christ, became very ill before he could be baptized, died of his illness, called me and says, Pastor, would you baptize me at home in the bathtub? So we gathered his family. Some men went with me. and We laid this sick, feverish body in the bathtub. I held his nose. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. As he confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and we just laid him under the water gently and brought him up. There was a glow about him of making that final declaration. And just a few days later, he knows more about Jesus than I'll ever know until I get there because he demonstrated his faith. And if you're saying to me this morning, how do I know? You know, this is really risky to give my life to Jesus. You're right. 
This woman right here, I don't know if the camera's on her, but you should be on her right now. That's my wife. I love her. I want to tell you the biggest risk she took in her life. And I told her the good, the bad, and the ugly. The biggest risk in her life was when she said yes to me. That's what marriage is. It's a risk. It's a risk. When you say yes to some, some of you know what I'm saying. It's true. You've been through the pain of where the risk didn't work out. Some of you are like Becky and I. You've enjoyed a long and fruitful marriage, but you'll never know until you take that risk. And that's what I'm asking you to do. It's as simple as A, B, C, and D. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray, and then Corey is going to come and lead us in communion. Now, Jesus, <clears throat> I hope that when every one of us leave this room today, and we say Jesus Christ is Lord, it will be a whole new statement for us. And I ask you that for my friends here or my friends online that are watching, that if they're willing to take that risk right now, give them such a peace in their heart that because you became fully one of us, you know us. You care deeply about us. You're always with us. And you know everything about us. And I'm asking you to forgive them of their sins. Just pray this right now. Say, Jesus, with my mouth, I confess that you are Lord. I believe that you died for my sins. And it's only through you that I can come to know God. So I ask you, come into my life and be the Lord of my life. In your name I pray, amen and amen. You can be seated as we get ready to take communion together. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work that took place at Calvary. God, we thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection. And Lord, as we hold this bread in our hands right now, we're reminded that this bread represents Jesus' body, beaten and broken for us. And your word says that by his stripes we are healed. And so I pray right now, Lord, for each individual, God, that needs a healing today, that you would come and touch your people, and God, that you would touch them and bring healing in Jesus' name. Let's break the bread and partake together.
And God, as we hold this cup in our hands, we're reminded that this cup represents the blood that was shed at the cross. Jesus' blood. And God, your word says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus did what only he could do. He took on sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we could have that relationship once again with you. And God, as we hold this cup, we just pause this morning to say thank you, to say we love you. God, we bless your name today. Let's partake together. God, we do thank you for the work at Calvary. And God, we do look forward to the day that you come again. And God, we get to spend eternity in heaven with you. But Lord, I pray that as we're still here now, God, may we be light to this world. God, as we go into the workplaces this week, God, may we demonstrate your love and who you are. And may people take notice, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, thank you so much for being here with us. And if you prayed that prayer with Pastor today, we have a little gift that we'd love to give you. It's a book. If you're here today, just stop by the crossing and ask for that book. We'd love to give it to you. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, will you email us at info at woodland.church and let us know so that we can be praying for you. And, and also, we want to send that book to you as well. And so please let us know that you prayed that prayer with us. Also, don't forget, next week is our Fall Fest. It's going to be a great time. Make sure you come be a part of that. And as you're leaving today, make sure you take your communication cards and place it in the offering along with your offering. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.